Welcome to the Light Bears Institute podcast, where we seek to improve biblical literacy by discussing key storylines and themes in Scripture. Welcome back to the Light Bears podcast. My name is Ryan Martin, and I serve as the Director of Missions at Light Bears. Today, we're going to be thinking about the local church as sender. Light Bears, being a parachurch ministry, takes serious coming alongside the local church in their efforts to mobilize students for the Great Commission. And part of that is mobilizing students back into the context of their local church to see the local church as the primary sender in the task of the Great Commission. Today, we're going to think about to whom was God's missionary commission given, and then we'll look at some of the implications in that. So as we consider to whom was God's missionary commission given, we see from the Great Commission text throughout the Gospels, including Luke chapter 24, verses 33 to 48, that Christ gave his commission to the assembled church. But if we take a step back even further in the Gospels, we see there's a chain of missionary sending. First in John 3, verse 17, we see that God sends his son. John writes, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Not only did God the Father send the Son, but the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit. Luke 24, 49 says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have clothed with power from on high. Next, we see the Holy Spirit gathers and encourages the church. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. And then finally, we see the church sending her people. The congregation in Antioch there in Acts chapter 13. Luke writes, For while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Paul would later go on to write in Romans 10 verses 14 and 15, How then can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So if we see that the local church is the primary sender, what does it mean for the church to be central to sending and supporting missionaries? I think we can turn to a little letter in the back half of the New Testament, not a letter that we would typically go to when we think about Great Commission texts throughout the scriptures, but the letter of 3 John. In 3 John, verses 1 to 8, we see John addressing his friend Gaius and commending him and the church that Gaius was a part of for receiving itinerant missionaries in and then sending them back out to take the gospel to the nations. So we see some basic principles in 3 John. Let's read together in verses 1 to 8. John writes, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So let's look at four basic principles 
from these eight verses. First, there's a concern for missions and missionaries, which is normal. We see in verse 3 that John says that he has no greater joy than to see that his children are walking in the truth. And what is that truth? But that Christ has commissioned the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but then also commissioned the church to be faithful in sending. John commends Gaius and the church there in 3 John that it's a faithful thing that they have great effort in sending these missionaries along. And then in verse 8, we ought to support people like these. So it's a normal cadence of the church to support and to send well. Second, there's a cooperation among churches that's encouraged in this letter. You know, oftentimes churches are territorial, seeking to take ownership and authority of their particular missionaries and not share in partnership together in the task of seeing the gospel furthered. But we see here in the letter of 3 John that there's mutual support of missionaries and that real gospel partnership brings honor and glory to Christ. It said there in verse 7, For many have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Third, we see in verses 6 through 8 that knowing whom we ought to support is crucial. We as a church have a special moral obligation to support those who have been sent out for the sake of the name, as it says there in verse 7. Andy Johnson, in his book, Missions, writes, Lots of people share the gospel, but only some have a moral claim on the local church's financial support. And it's these men and women who we call missionaries. Missionaries, therefore, are to be accountable and connected to a local church. And there ought to be mutual accountability between the missionaries that a local church sends out and the missionaries being accountable back to that local church. Fourth, an implication that we see from the letter of 3 John is that support should be abundant. John writes that Gaius and this church are to support and to send in a manner worthy of God, such that they lack nothing. Our support for missionaries should be such that they lack nothing, as if we are supporting Jesus himself for a journey. And ultimately, all four of these implications, concern for missions and missionaries, cooperation among local churches, knowing whom we ought to support, and our support being abundant. Our motivation in all of these things is a love for the glory of Christ. So then, what is it that a church should do in its role as the lead sending and supporting agent? Well, I think there are a number of things that we can turn to. First is in the church's evaluation of missionaries. So evaluation and assessment. You know, if we choose the right people, we need not worry about giving them too much money. We ought to send discerningly, but not support suspiciously. Consider who it is that we are supporting. Evaluate, assess them. God's mission is urgent. Hell is real, and God's wrath is certain for all outside of Christ. Yet God's mission is not frantic or in danger of failing. As local churches, we're called to be both urgent and wise in our assessment of future missionaries. We need to send forth laborers, not just warm bodies. Ask ourselves the question, is it really the best correction to imply that if someone doesn't have a good reason to stay, that they should go? Well, not necessarily, because zeal without knowledge is hurtful. Local churches, therefore, ought to take a more active and thoughtful role in encouraging, assessing, and equipping members to go. So as we think about evaluation and assessment, what is it that local churches ought to assess? I think as students of the Lightbearers program listening to this podcast 
here are some things that you ought to consider as you're considering cross-cultural ministry. First, your local church ought to assess character. Local churches are called to send people who are self-starters and also those who submit to the authority of local church elders. So as students considering cross-cultural ministry, go to your local church elders and ask them to assess your life, assess your doctrine, assess your service to the body and see if they can affirm that inward calling that you're sensing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Part of that assessment of character is character of trustworthiness. Is an individual trustworthy now such that the local church would trust them on the field with the gospel? Thinking about even those qualifications that Paul writes about in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 as it relates to elders, many and not most of these are characteristics that all Christians should embody. And as local churches assessing would-be missionary candidates, we need to be willing to say, not yet. So assessing character. Second, assessing fruitfulness. Is there a trail of fruitfulness in the lives of those that are considering going to the ends of the earth? As students of Light Bears, what are you doing now in terms of ministry here in your local context as you consider being faithful and fruitful in a cross-cultural setting? Third, assess biblical knowledge. We need to assess candidates that stand out in knowledge and an understanding of the Scripture. They need to have both theological knowledge, but also theological understanding such that they can contextualize the scriptures well. They need to be those who are best equipped to guard the gospel and handle the word in various settings. So assessing character, assessing fruitfulness, assessing biblical knowledge. These are all things that a church needs to consider and missionary candidates need to think about in terms of evaluation and assessment. But not only is the local church called to assess and evaluate, but secondly, they're called to teach and to train. What are they called to teach? Well, first, they need to teach in meaningful membership. So as those who are considering being sent out by your local church, are you a faithful and fruitful church member? Are you practicing hospitality to those inside and outside the local church? Are you praying for gospel opportunities and seeking those out in terms of evangelism? Are you looking for teaching opportunities in small group settings such that you're able to have experience in teaching the Word in various contexts? And are you being a faithful disciple maker? Second, a church needs to have specific training as it relates to equipping your members to serve in an overseas context. One of the ways that I've seen a local church do this is through a missions reading group. This includes taking time to read not only through mission books, missionary biographies, but also books on theology and ecclesiology, such that we allow our theology and our ecclesiology to undergird and to ground our missiology, not the other way around. Another component of training is actually having international experiences. This includes both global and local. There's opportunity even here within the context of light bears, but also through your local churches, to travel overseas and participate in gospel work, to get a feel for what life is like overseas, to interface with missionaries that are already on the ground, and to ask them the hard questions about what life is like on the field. Through those international experiences, you gain a deeper love for the gospel. You get to see what faithfulness looks like, even in the midst of hardship, and you get to see an affirmation of the local church. We need to be those who explore and are exposed to these experiences 
even before going. And then fourth, in terms of teaching and training, there's an opportunity not only globally with international experiences, but also engagement with internationals here locally. Even here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, where I'm recording this podcast, we have the University of Arkansas, which is the flagship university of the state. There are 1,500 international students, roughly, from 120 different countries, many of those countries being restricted access countries where we as Americans would have a difficult time getting into. We have an opportunity where the nations have been brought to our doorstep to engage them with the gospel here and now. Take that opportunity to proclaim the gospel and to look for gospel opportunities amongst those international students while we're here, such that as God would call us to cross-cultural service, that we would be faithful to share the gospel with internationals overseas. So local churches are first called to evaluate and to assess. Second, they're called to teach and to train. And then third, they're called to send and support. And our sending and supporting, there needs to be a focus on the local church. Usually, the most strategic work that a local church can support is work that aims to establish healthy local churches. This could take the form of church planting in pioneer context among unreached language groups, or it could be strengthening existing churches. Let's first think about church planting in pioneering context or among unreached language groups. We would turn to a passage like Romans chapter 15, verses 2 to 21, where Paul says that he desires to take the gospel where it is yet to go, that he would preach in areas that have yet to hear the name of Christ, such that he doesn't build on someone else's foundation. But there's also church strengthening. You think about 1 Timothy 1 or Titus 1, where Paul exhorted Timothy and Titus and sent them back to locations where he had planted churches in order that he that those men would in turn strengthen the local church, establishing leadership there such that the church could thrive and in turn send out their own people to take the gospel to unreached regions of the world. Second, we need to focus on work that's being done well as we think about sending and supporting. Does the work that we're looking to send or to support, does it align with the local church's theology, with their understanding of the local church and what is a healthy local church? And then third, does it align with them missiologically? Can the work that a local church is looking to support and individuals that they're looking to send and support, can they affirm the statement of faith of that local church? If they're a man, are they elder qualified? And in terms of the work that even Lightbear supports, we make it a practice to visit their work before we even support their work, such that we can get eyes on and make sure that it's something that we feel like we want to get convictionally behind. Third, as we think about sending and supporting, we as the local church need to focus on those that we know and trust. Beware of focus on speed and numbers. Andy Johnson in his book, Missions, would go on to write, The work of missions is urgent, but it's not frantic. We long for a harvest, but God has nowhere guaranteed a rate of increase. We need to take the mindset of Paul that he plants, Apollos waters, but ultimately God gives the increase. And we need to partner with those who pursue faithfulness. So we need to evaluate and assess healthy character. We need to teach and to train. We need to send and support well. And then fourth, we need to care and oversee that work as the local church. What does that care look like? I think there's a number of ways that we can care for our missionaries well. 
One is through regular communication. This is obviously going to take effort, but I think as local churches, it's crucial in order to retain healthy missionaries on the field and to see strong partnerships built up. This communication needs to be regular. Let me encourage you as local church leaders to communicate with your partners at least once a month. Make it a practice even as you receive missionary newsletters to stop and to read those, to pray for those requests, and then to drop a quick email or note to those missionaries to let them know that you're praying for them. Another way to communicate regularly is to set up partnership advocacy teams or partnership advocacy leaders that will advocate for your partners on the field, both advocating on behalf of the partner to the church and advocating on behalf of the church to the partner. Another way to oversee missionaries well is to make pastoral visits. These are types of trips where local churches aren't sending a short-term mission team, but more so sending local church elders to visit missionaries with the sole purpose of just seeing how they are doing and encouraging them spiritually. We see an example of this in Acts chapter 15, or even in Philippians 2 with Epaphroditus and Paul. Another aspect of missionary care is sending short-term help. We need to obviously, with short-term mission trips, be sensitive about how, when, and whether to send those teams, allowing our partners on the field to dictate when to send them, how many to be on that team, and what type of work we can best assist with. Not all short-term teams are a help, and sometimes many short-term teams are a hindrance. We need to send teams full of the right people and in line with what our partners need and request. We need to give partners freedom to speak into when and how to send short-term teams. A fourth aspect of missionary care is extending hospitality. First, that means that we need to practice hospitality here stateside, even as we would look to practice it overseas. We need to look for ways to help even returning missionaries be a meaningful part of the congregation. Help them to reacclimate back into the local church fellowship, even as they come off the field. We want our missionaries, even as they return stateside, be it for regular visits or be it in an emergency situation, to have a time where they can be rested, refreshed, and to reconnect, and to send them back full and ready to take on the next season of ministry. And then fifth, when it comes to missionary care, we need to provide additional teammates. This is really the best gift that we could give our long-term workers on the field. If we trust missionaries to support them, we should in turn trust them to recruit from our congregation. We need to encourage members looking to go overseas to join up with existing partners. As local church leaders listening to this podcast, as you have college students thinking about going overseas for midterm or long-term stints, first look towards those opportunities that are already before you with existing partners. As college students, part of the Light Bears ministry, consider where are partners already with, within your local church and look to go alongside them or consider going alongside a Light Bears partner on the field. You know, one question that we oftentimes get as we think about the local church being the lead agency in sending is how then should we think about mission sending agencies? Well, one author says that mission sending agencies are an optional but permissible means of organized cooperation among churches. Sometimes churches can send their own, but at other times they do send alongside a mission agency. Johnson in his book Missions 
would go on to say that the best agencies refuse to intrude and act like the church, and instead encourage and help, sometimes even impressing upon local churches their important role of caring for the workers that they send. Cooperating with the church, agencies in turn can help send workers to difficult locations that churches couldn't reach alone. We see examples of this type of partnership, albeit not with a mission agency, but nevertheless, the spirit of partnership is there. As we read Paul's account back to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, or this passage in 3 John that we looked at, where John commended Gaius for receiving in these itinerant missionaries, whom he didn't know at first, but rather welcomed them in and then sent them back out for the sake of the name. So why does all this matter? That the local church be the primary sender? Well, because the church is the goal and the means of missions. We see in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that the local church is called to declare the excellencies of God to the rulers and authorities. Second, because individualism can be problematic. We need to go with the support and backing and undergirding of our local churches. Lightbearers isn't a mission-sending agency. Lightbearers isn't the primary means through which cross-cultural workers are sent. No, we want to stand alongside and support the local church in that sending and in that supporting. And third, missions is intensely congregational, not intensely personal. In conclusion, as we think about the local church as sender, consider these four things. Local churches are central to the New Testament plan. They are the means and the ends by which the Great Commission is accomplished. The gathered church also, those local churches, are the mediating entities for implementing God's Great Commission. Local churches are both the aim and the means of God's missionary plan. And local churches are God's means to bless you in your missionary obedience. So whether you're called to faithfully send or faithfully go, may we see the local church as the primary means by which the gospel will go forth until Christ returns. You've been listening to the Lightbears Institute podcast, a production of Lightbears Ministries. For more information, visit lightbears.com.com.